Special Monday edition of the Bearded Car Cast. Mike Pacheco, Dave Freeman. We got Bruce Springsteen going on in the background, and a very special guest, the uh, athletic director, Dr. Ken Halpin from Winthrop University, joining us. Here. Welcome, welcome back. Thank you. It's it's wonderful to still be a special guest and not just a guest. Winthrop looking for a 15th consecutive win tonight, but I think Ken and, and Mike and I, to a degree too, are looking big picture and I think that's one of the things we've appreciated about your tenure at Winthrop it's not just the little things but the big things and you have an interest kind of a fascination in the way sports business works did you catch any of the XFL this weekend um only on Twitter that it was kicking off and they had some creative awareness grabbing techniques to make sure that you knew the XFL was kicking off um, and then the only thing I did in my brain was flash back to the days when they put the ball at the 50-yard line and yeah. two guys would go dislocate their shoulders <laughs> and end their rest of their athletic career. Um, and I still have that as my impression of what the XFL is. Mike, did you watch any of it? I watched a little bit of it on uh, Sunday. Uh, the Was it the Vipers and the Defenders? Sure, if you say so. Yeah, at the Meadowlands. It was interesting how they filmed it, though. I mean, it was very – everything was tight. Yep. You know, obviously because it was probably – 4,000 people there in a stadium that seats, you know, 60-something. I was impressed by the broadcasts in terms of it looked like an NFL broadcast and it felt like an NFL broadcast. And I think it's smart that the league partnered with ESPN because now ESPN will plug it all over the place. That being said, the quality of play looked very much like the AAF from last year, and we know how well that worked, though I don't know that they went out of business because of the football itself. Do you think, Ken, that an alternative football league is viable? If it's viable, that's a good question. I believe that if the NCAA universe can figure out the name, image, and likeness question, um, which actually uh, Donald Remy, uh, the chief operating officer for the NCAA, just emailed today that there will be a court hearing that can be live streamed tomorrow morning at oh. 10 a.m. So check your calendars um, at the Senate level because um, there's a push to get federal support to delay all of the state lawsuits so that the NCA can actually make a sizable change. If that change happens, I think that the appetite for um, professional alternative football leagues will, will diminish. It, uh, it's my opinion that those leagues popped up simply because um, – now assistant coaches are making over a million dollars and student athletes uh, are still prevented from benefiting financially even outside of the institutional framework. What is your opinion on where all of that is going? Will we get to a point where student athletes are compensated? Well, um, I so the way you phrased that question is, I think, unique. I personally don't believe we will get to a point where student athletes are compensated by the institution. I could be wrong, um, but but what, what I have advocated for is the major problem is not that the institution doesn't pay the student athlete. In fact, I believe that's the reason it's the collegiate model. They're not employees of the institution, they are athletes, but what they should never be prevented from is benefiting on the open market from their own name, image, and likeness. So I do believe a model is coming and I personally advocate for a model where they're permitted to benefit from their own name, image, and likeness no different than and I think you know a great example is always uh, I think it was Jodie Foster went to Yale and she appeared in a major yeah. major motion picture while also performing in the drama program and uh, nobody died <laughs> nobody got arrested she made a lot of money she continued going to school because her her um, Ivy League degree was still very important to her so there, there are ways it can work um, 
but something's going to change. And if uh, we keep saying if the NCA doesn't change, something's going to be forced down yeah. in our throats, so to speak. So something's got to happen. So at the Winthrop level, how does that affect the institution, the athletic department, and things like recruiting? Because the layperson will say, well, now a booster at High Point can put together a contract to put together an endorsement for a player there, does Winthrop match that? Like, how, how does that, how does it actually work in practice? So it's a good question, um, I, and I don't know anybody can answer it, because if anybody could answer it, we would have solved it solved by it now. Yeah. Um, but I, what I always say is, you know, at our level, I mean, I think this is really talking about the top 2% of the most marketable athletes that college has to offer. And we're not just talking football and baseball. I mean, you know, Katie Ledecky won five gold medals in the in the olympics in swimming but she chose not to be on the front of the wheaties box because she still wanted to swim at stanford you know and so so there's there are examples in 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 many different sports i think trickling down to our level you just won't see a ton of it now is it possible absolutely and i think that's where you know at larger schools you'll see folks saying well you know what about the the major like the you know organs of the world um you know phil knight wants to write a check that's too big for somebody's uh signature or their autograph What's going to stop anybody from that? There's a lot of pressure from administrators to try and keep the structure fair and capture some kind of fairness. My response to that is always, it's not fair right now. You know, like, right. you know, it's not fair that Zion Williamson didn't come to Winthrop because Duke <laughs> had better facilities and uh, a better tradition in history. It's just not fair. Like, you, you can't have fairness. And so some of that, I bet, is already happening now. You know, tell me that nobody's got backdoor cash transactions happening that are not in the public eye it happens we just don't know where and don't know how this would these solutions might have a chance to bring it out in the open and maybe even regulate it uh, in some way shape or form when you look at everything that's going on in college basketball and obviously Winthrop is an, an enviable situation on a long winning streak with a tradition rich program but when you look at the various things going on and we'll start with the Adidas scandal of last summer do you feel as though the sport is in peril and needs major change or smaller adjustments and tweaks can take care of the issues? So the, you know, I remember vividly we had class that day and the, the, um, live stream of the district attorney in New York demonstrating their, you know, wonderful circular graphs of how the, the, <laughs> adidas scandal happened and the first the biggest question i kept asking is this really fbi jurisdiction you know right. like is this really what the federal bureau of investigation should be spending their time on we have fbi's top 10 most wanted but we spent a ton of resources identifying recruiting practices that were primarily violating ncaa rules um secondarily violating some um issues associated with you know trying to coerce kids to use certain vendors um you know, and since then, a few people have, have been busted for it. But I think what you would find across the national landscape, you talk to basketball coaches, is what ended up coming down is a, a significant amount of like, meh, did anything really happen? It turns out yeah. nobody really cared. There's certain coaches who were caught. Um, you probably sneak down to that next parking lot and be fine. Uh, I'll find a little more time so we can. I got. Oh, it's Monday. It's not open. Um, I got to text somebody. <laughs> Let's. We should head over to dust off. Um, a lot of folks will say, hey, you know what? Um, some folks who even got caught on tape are still in coaching right now. So did we really, did we really change anything? So is your thought then that it is 
over what has happened happened and essentially Rick Pitino lost his job and everyone else is going to get away with what has taken place and the sport is no different than it was before? It's hard to say. I don't think coaches are as nervous um, about you know who's got wiretapped phones and is a big black suburban coming to your door. I think that's kind of backed off. Uh, I think and the name, image, and likeness conversation gives everyone a chance to redefine how we do what we do and, and, and bring things out into the open um, so that at least everyone is openly doing what, whatever it is they're doing. But at the end of the day, as long as all these schools play for the same national title and as long as that tournament generates the interest that it does, there's going to be a lot of value placed on, you know, we've seen it. one kid can change, make the difference between yeah. middle of the league and a three seed uh, in March Madness. When you look at Winthrop's roster, it is a smorgasbord of ways you go about acquiring talent. You've got grad transfers, and you've got guys moving up from the D2 level. You have a player, Winthrop's best player, DJ Burns, who was at Tennessee and got a waiver to play immediately with Winthrop. Of course, you have your traditional recruits. How much of an issue is poaching? Is Pat Kelsey retaining the players on his own team if you want to put together a winning program for next year and the year after and the year after that? So, I mean, I think if you talk to administrators and coaches, they'd probably give you two different answers. I think coaches, I, I would have to imagine, would say poaching is a big problem. I mean, yeah. it's no secret that every Power 5 program in the country probably has a coach whose job is to scour the world for grad transfers. Um, and so when you get a great player who's going to graduate on time, you don't want to delay their progress to graduation, but you have a very high risk because if they play really well, of course there are higher schools that can attract them. In fact, it, it was I reminded a couple of ADs at conference meetings last week when we had our really um, big, you know, near 40-point win over uh, UNC Asheville last weekend. Uh, it was done without a gentleman by the name of Macy Oteague, you yep. know, because he's arguably the best player, if not the second on Baylor's roster right yep. now. Um, and so that's all because of the transfer space. So the poaching is a concern. Uh, the rules on transfer space are only going to get more and more flexible. And so it's one of those, I, I, I just choose not to see it as a problem. I, I, and I try to choose to see a lot of things not as a problem because this case, this, this problem is the same for everybody. It's not right. that the playing field is, is not that different. It's still, you know, as unfair as it was the first time and that if someone else's facilities or um you know what they offer is better than ours then it's not fair but that's that's life it's, it never was supposed to be fair so we're just trying to recruit kids the same way everyone else is i think we've got a great coach who knows how to do that really well and this year's roster reflects that <coughs> and um it's no secret that we got to recruit the kids on our roster just as much as the kids yeah. not on our roster every year. That's part of the bat, part of the game today. Do you think for the for mid majors, the answer may be also doing something that Pat's been very successful at, which is get guys from Division Two. Do you think that might loosen up bringing guys up, if you will? If, if guys are being taken from our level to the Power Five level, do you see maybe some loosening in that direction too? Yeah, but but then you you also have then um, you know D two coaches saying poaching is a problem. Right. You know, it's 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 everyone. You know, yeah, but it's not our problem anymore. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And, and we've been successful with it. We've had multiple D2 uh, student-athletes now demonstrate that they can be really successful at our level. And, and it's kind of what I consider it. Like, if 
if athletes have been taken from our roster, why you know, like we, we can do the same. And so we, we look for athletes and try to give them a great experience. We think they can be difference makers. Um, but what, what I give Coach Kelsey credit for is I think across the Big South, we've lost fewer transfers than everyone else. Yeah. I believe that's a big ingredient as part of our success. And so you still have a job to do. You still have a job to teach your student athletes that their experience is going to be second to none where you're at. And that's not, that's not always a money discussion. Right. That's about the work ethic that they're going to learn. That's about the academic commitment we're going to make as an institution. And that's about what things can we do to still make it feel like a high major program. Pat talks about that all the time, and he does an amazing job with it. And I think it reflects it in our, in our roster um, retention. I think what's interesting is um, the movement now into the esports space as well. How, how's that gone so far for Winter? <laughs> what's the future in that? You want to talk about transfers? <laughs> so um, it's been very positive. Uh, we're in our first full year. So we hired Coach Sides middle of last year. He, he bought, brought a team together, and we just finished our, our first semester this last fall. Had a very successful semester. Um, and what I can say is we started this year's League of Legends poll after some early success, ranked number 18th in the country in League of Legends. It's a really big day for us. And then we entered into a tournament at, with Arizona State University, so all teams competed remotely. And we beat uh, multiple teams, including the host team, Arizona State, and Harrisburg University, who was in the top five. So the newest uh, uh, top 25 ESPN coaches poll has us at sixth in the country. So we're a very new program, and we're, we're dominating right now. And so we're actually, we've been invited to the in-person um, portion of the tournament for the Final Four, which is going to be in San Diego, wow. California. Um, and they're, they're poised to win. And so it's interesting. It's an exciting space, and it's nothing like the NCAA. Um, it's just part of the reason why the NCAA has not adopted it. Now, with this specific tournament, there are actually financial winnings. And wow. so um, we, we've talked about and we worked through with the financial winnings. We're, we're, it's still not quite a place on campus where if you win winnings, you can just give a check right to the student because faculty right. can't even do that. Right. Faculty can go develop research and it can be up on the open market and they can't personally benefit from it because the institution helped them get there. Um, but a big reason the NCAA is so criticized is because all this revenue gets generated and none of it goes to the athletes. Right. And so, so where's our balance? So we've talked about here. What we can do is... Um, utilize that uh, those resources to put into our students institution uh, their student accounts um, and the reason that's significant because we other schools do we don't give full scholarships right and so what we rely on is we, we we allow our students to know that if you if you are talented you can utilize winnings to help support a scholarship yeah. that doesn't cost the institution any money doesn't cost you any money but gives you freedom to sort of pursue and that entrepreneurial mindset yeah. Has actually been really intriguing to students who've walked away from full scholarship opportunities to come to Winthrop, where we try to be, we try to create a Division One environment, right. even though that's an NCAA term. Right. Um, and and so far, it's been really successful. Is We're there a really governing, super excited? Is there a governing body for this? So there are multiple governing bodies. That the one of the criticisms, not the criticisms, but the the bringing it along has been there are multiple governing bodies, and they kind of don't. Uh, mesh well together yet and then the biggest thing that, that differentiates what makes it difficult for a governing body to grow uh, in my opinion is you know the game of basketball nobody owns it so like if the rules are going to change like the three-point line gets yeah. farther out or the ball we're going to get bigger or the rim we're going to be lowered a governing body gets together to vote on what the rules should change you you, you collectively agree on that league of legends is owned by a game developer right. they can change the rules whenever they want 
And so if you try and create a governing body and you don't really engage a game developer, you can create a championship and they can just go change the character right. skills. They can change the layout of the map. They can yeah. change whatever they want. And so there's really the ownership is lies with these these game developers and you know they want to sell games the collegiate competitive space is big but the professional space is much bigger you know and so um so so there's not really a clear one yet we're still evaluating whether they're joining one we don't belong to one right now so a lot of this is all based on tournaments but then um league of legends has its own collegiate tournament and um that's sort of the coup de grace for league of legends itself Joined by Winthrop Director of Athletics, Dr. Ken Halpin on our bearded car guest, Mike Pacheco. I'm Dave Friedman. You mentioned the success of the esports team with Coach Sides. And we've talked about Coach Kelsey and his tremendous success with men's basketball. We've talked about poaching players. Well, it's very likely that your coaches that are successful are going to get opportunities elsewhere. Mm -hmm. How much do you work on cultivating a relationship and an atmosphere, kind of working ahead to try to keep those coaches here? So I think I think I spend the same amount of time. I hope I spend the same amount of time as our coaches do with our with our athletes, because you know we're never going to win a financial war for success you know there's there's a certain amount of success at some point where it will literally be impossible to retain somebody um and so then what we believe is a sweet spot is that if if you sell a vision on the impact that you're making and the impact you're collectively making on others you can at least keep for longer than you otherwise would have really really talented people engaged in your program so coach sides and i would say coach kelsey too we, we we try we've tried to work together to create a vision that is student athlete centered and focused that gives them freedom to have an unbelievable collegiate experience kind of that what coach always calls that high major experience and so because they get freedom to work on that there there uh, there might be risk and going to a higher paying job with a less i don't know i mean this is a self self-serving compliment almost but like you know I, I like to think that i'm open to progressive ideas give him freedom to brainstorm and dream and we bring things to reality and and that freedom doesn't cost us any money but it's something he values highly sure. Um, and so will it keep him here forever? I doubt it. We, we keep we never lose a game again this year and the next year. Someday someone's going to pay him way too much money for him to stay. But until then, to give him the freedom to, to explore and to do things that he's passionate about in a creative way is what's going to keep our people from looking unnecessarily. So our goal is when people leave, to leave for jobs that are celebrated. You know, when, when somebody goes and gets... So like Renee Miles, RSWA, she left Winthrop and she's the Senior Associate Athletic Director now in Miami right. and down in Florida. That's a celebrated departure. Right. She she went up in level, up in in scope, up in opportunity. So we were an operate. We we don't we don't use the phrase stepping stone, but we we, you know, we believe we're training the best and brightest future, um, people who are going to populate this industry. And one of your successes since coming to Winthrop has been the people that you've brought in and have worked under you. When people like Dr. Miles leaves or a coach leaves for a better opportunity, how do you go about the process of finding someone that can do as good a job as the person that left? So it's the, the, the how is different for both um, 
I'm going to take this call in a minute. The how is different for coaches and administrators. Coaches, there's more focus on it because a lot of competitiveness with folks trying to jockey for and we've got all of our head coaching jobs are great jobs administrators we're not we're not super competitive financially so we've got to work through a network to find really talented people and then when you get a pool of talented people you want to evaluate a you know how how intelligent hardworking are they but then b do they want a job or do they want this job and so we spend time evaluating that and then i rely on folks that i trust who understand the culture we've tried to build to weigh in on the process and then and then i go a lot off of what can i learn about a candidate when i meet them in the in the categories that you can't fake so to speak um, and then um, once we've identified if we believe that somebody is really really impressive and and um, is going to make a difference uh, i always like to try to um, i believe i can evangelize myself a little bit too and so i like to when i when i've decided that moment has come i'll turn the spigot and turn on the whatever we think it takes to attract this person here and we we like to believe we've had a lot of success and the ones we've missed on have been a part of our network and have sent us people here Mm -hmm. so again what we have is a like-minded network of people who want to overachieve work really hard in service to our student athletes and it's and it's you've been yielding a lot of benefits you mentioned the culture that you're trying to foster and that you've brought to Winthrop what are kind of the defining principles of that like what do you feel like it is to work at and to to be a part of Winthrop Athletics right now. So when I first got here, <clears throat> there were two buzzwords I used a lot because I didn't really have any clarity and I needed time to build that. And that was attitude and energy. So um, two things you we always control. And I wanted people to have a great attitude. No, no matter how bad things got, you could always have a great attitude about it. And then energy. Like we, we this has to be energizing. You can't. This can't be draining this college athletics thing because it's a ton of hours. And yeah. so if it doesn't energize you, you're not going to last very long and you're not going to provide great value for you or for the organization. And then we went through the um, we went through the strategic planning process and we're able to develop a set of core values. So we got our drive acronym and um, some aspirational goals that we wanted to pursue. And one of the big things we did that I thought was essential to our culture is we made sure to delineate the difference between an aspirational goal, which became a measurable goal. So what are the measurements that associate with success in these aspirations? And then what we differentiated out and kept out of the plan were strategies and tactics. And so, you know, if the goal were for us to get from the Coliseum to the to slow play brewery, then that's a goal. That's a measurable outcome telling you to drive down Eden Terrace and loop around yeah. on Cherry Road is a strategy or a tactic. What what I do when I tell you what way to go is I remove the autonomy from the performer. And so by not putting strategies or tactics in, we literally have empowered our staff to be able to find whatever they want within what's legal, within right. what's according to policy, to get us to the destination. So So our staff has a lot of freedom to try things and make mistakes if they do it at a high level with high energy and a great attitude. And, and so, and then what happens is we, we talked a lot from a senior leadership standpoint, the last piece is if you have all that going for you, then the, the things you can't sacrifice are when, what do you do when they have bad attitudes? Right. People, somebody told me once people often get hired on experiences and accomplishments, but they get fired for behavior. It's the attitude stuff that often right. go, it's so hard to measure and goes unchecked. And so we spend a lot of time talking about now that we have direction, on what we want to stand for, we need to make sure we don't sacrifice attitude accountability. And so when somebody's attitude isn't 
where it needs to be, it needs to be held accountable. Not crushing them, but there needs to be a communication feedback loop, clearly stating what was not okay about the behavior or the attitude, and an opportunity to correct it. And then, obviously, if not corrected, you have other discussions. But attitude accountability became a big part of it, such that um, I guess the last analogy I'll use is, you know, there's kind of two ways to go through this. When you have weeds in your yard, you can get rid of them in two ways. You can go try and pull them one at a time, or you can overgrow the grass. And it will eventually make no more nutrients available for the weeds to grow as well. And I don't mean to sound harsh and describe people as weeds, because all people have intrinsic value. But in your organization we've tried to overgrow a specific type of attitude and energy and culture so that eventually we didn't have to address any poor performers one-on-one. They self-selected out because all of their teammates were working at such a high pace. You stood out if you weren't keeping up that pace, so to speak. But the important piece to that, too, is, I mean, money is finite. Money is going to be what the money is, you know, whether you're at our level or a different level. Um, I find as being, having been an employee for 30 years, that some of the most fun jobs I've been involved in are the ones where I felt like I was part of the solution, and not just correct, know, not just being like an automatic like just do this. Like when you felt like you had ownership of the position and had that freedom to make mistakes, that's that that's when you did some of your best work. Big believer in that. Yeah, you know, not and we we even did this one thing. I think I got made fun of a little bit because it sounded cheesy, but we did um, vision confirmation meetings where, where where we took the vision and the in the outcomes of the document and met with everybody in the department and said, I want you to literally talk to me about how I want you to verbalize how your position feeds these outcomes because when you walk out of this room I want you to be able to intrinsically understand and explain to yourself how you're essential to every single goal in here whether you're an intern or a 20-year head coach we did it with everybody Um, and and I believed in that because I do believe that everybody is essential to the organization and leadership and and impact can come from every position Um, I also believe that the greatest way to stifle that is to tell people how to do their jobs. Yeah. You know, we've got a lot, a lot of smart, creative people. So as long as outcomes are being achieved, then you can have creative freedom with how you do yeah. your job. Dave and I think we're very critical. <laughs> <laughs> if you listen to the CarCast, you can have your own opinions as to how successful that is or not. You've gotten into uh, running. <laughs> uh, I, I suppose you could say that. Is this something, because uh, you were baseball and football in college. I was, yeah. Um, and then I got out of college. Uh, I taught fitness and conditioning at Gonzaga for a while. And I'd gotten into triathlon a little bit about 10 years ago. But then life happened, kids happened, yeah. and it just was hard to balance. Um, I always just tried to stay active. Actually, when I moved to Rock Hill, I got sucked in here to um, CrossFit. I yeah. tried it out and quickly made a group of friends that uh, become very, very close friends. And... Um, being consistent with CrossFit, it led to a couple of the guys uh, were avid trail runners, and so I tried trail running. Turns out, I always thought I hated running. Turns out, I love trail running. Yeah. Um, and so that's it's totally different, and people don't understand a, the difference. It's, yeah. it's night and day different. Um, and then that turned into uh, some relays, uh, as I was telling Dave earlier. Uh, he, the Greenway has here in Fort Mill has an unbelievable trail system, so I've burned down uh, countless miles and hours there. Um, and then, and then recently that turned into back into triathlon training. So, um, it's been a fun part of living here. It turns out you can be outside a lot in the yeah. South. So why not do things that keep you outside a lot? But I think what's good for, for people that don't know you and maybe don't understand running, it's a perfect, knowing you now, it's a perfect fit because running, especially the long running distance driven running, you can work out so many things in your head while you're running. So it's yeah. a dual benefit. I mean, you're like, you're getting a workout, but you're also working things out that you need to work out. Yeah. I've, I've said this to before to friends. I have 
uh, chewed on so many ideas while getting lost at the Greenway. And yeah. when I say getting lost, I mean I literally get lost at the Greenway. <laughs> I mean, I'm starting to get to know the trails. Yeah. Uh, it took me a while, but you can literally get lost. But it's it's a powerful way to really wrestle with ideas. And Seth Godin, who's one of my favorite authors, and he talks about when he talks to writers who have writer's block, he said, you know, writer's block is actually not that easy to, over, to it's not that difficult to overcome. Um, the way to overcome it is just to get really, really bored. Like, eliminate distraction get rid of the tv get rid of your twitter feed get rid of your email go out in the woods and just walk and give yourself nothing but what has been naturally created on this planet and your mind and explore and i promise you you'll have no other choice but to figure out your way through the whatever's keeping you from writing so that's my my thing is it's been a lot of ideas chewed on that have been crushed you know some of the best ideas in the world struck in my head out there and then i shot them down by the time i got to my car you know what i mean <laughs> what's the best idea that you've had that you've then oh gosh initiated that you've used that came from one of these long oh runs? man i was going to give you a great idea that i haven't initiated but will someday okay um, well we'll take this, that we'll test we'll test the following of this um of this car cast to see if anybody actually yeah. i think i swear it's brilliant so you know we're all fighting this name image and likeness thing yeah. and my thing is like well, shoot, how do we use this to our advantage? So, you know what we need to do? We need to go get the College of Business together. And our plan is to write up a collection of um, business plans based off of, if you got seed funding, um, a business that could be relatively simple to operate, that's, that's got good business mechanics in it. And, and all business has risk. There's no guarantees. But Correct. if you have a business, um, then we, we keep this collection of business plans. And let's say Coach Kelsey's still our coach. We're a name, image, and likeness universe, and <clears throat> the next Zion Williamson is growing up in, you know, Chester, and we're so close to them, we think we have a chance at them, but, you know, we're not, we don't have the money of these big schools. Well, what if we went down to the home of this student athlete that we're recruiting, and we brought with us a business plan, and we said, so, so this is a business plan that's been written up, this is going to belong to you, you can start your own LLC with, with these instructions, and this is your business plan. And now we have a benefactor who's going to make an investment in your business. They're going to literally seed money for your business plan. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to come play for us. You're either going to go to league in one year or you're going to play for us for four years and get your degree. But what you're done, when you're done, you're going to have a fully funded business that's yours. You're going to have something that can sustain you beyond the sport. Yeah. And you're going to have something that's really up to you whether or not it fails or doesn't fail. We're going to allow you to have advisors to help. You're going to have people you're going to get to know that will mentor you. But we're not we're not here just giving you a lot of cash because we want you to come here. We truly want to change your life. Right. And so we've done so by trying to help you be an entrepreneur. Can we get that benefactor involved in the bearded <laughs> car cast? <laughs> yeah, we need you on the bearded car cast, Ken. None of these college student kids. Right, right. So, uh, no, just there's fun ideas like that. I, they're not just for me. They're, right. I, I believe this. So I read a book um, over the summer called... Um, I, it's funny. I only ever remember the subtitle, not the main title. It's by Stephen Johnson, and the subtitle is "It's the Natural History of Innovation," and he he does an unbelievable expose on how innovation works. And what he what he talks about in the book is <clears throat> the cutting edge. So we always talk about stuff so cutting edge. Well, the cutting edge is is literally defined as the edge of our knowledge. And he said most innovations are never light years beyond the cutting edge. They're actually just a little bit past it. Right. And what they are is a collection of ideas from a wide array of industries, cobbling those parts together into a new part that advances the cutting edge a little farther. And so that's what, what my favorite part of it is. I don't, I don't go think where it's running or whatever because I think I have any good ideas at all. 
my favorite part is exploring different parts of life to see where you can borrow parts of other ideas and cobble them yeah. up into something that applies to our industry. Um, and so that's the fun stuff where I think fun ideas come from. Yeah, that's awesome. So, but I'll tell you, um, this is a true story. Maybe seven years ago, <clears throat> I was living I was living in Washington State, and I was visiting my friend Kale in Portland, Oregon. And Kale and I uh, still will play video games together on occasion. Just a fun little part of our friendship. Um, and so I sat there one day. We were playing a game called Borderlands, and I said, "You know what? If I ever get to be an AD, I'm going to start a competitive video game team. I just it'd be way too much fun." <laughs> And at the time, I swear I was joking, uh, and it turns out it worked now out. You, so it. you never know. You never know what things come to fruition. And, That's right. Uh, it's been really positive for us. Awesome. Ken, thanks for joining us. Hey, uh, it was absolutely my pleasure. You we, can help me with the. Uh, with the brewery that I want to put into an old fire station, but that's for another day. Hey, you know the best way to come up with, best way to make new friends and test ideas. Driving to Farmville and back. Having a beer. Nice. You can do that in Farmville. Great conversation with director, director of athletics, Dr. Ken Halpin. I love the fact that you can lob just about any question at him, yeah. and he's got a thoughtful answer. Yeah. I, I just can't wait till he hooks me up with the, the brewery inside the firehouse. Right. I'm excited about that. And presented by the Bearded Card Cast <laughs> with, yeah, I like it. No, but you know, he's so thoughtful and, um, and spends a lot of time, like, you know, nothing from him is off the cuff and I mean that in a positive way I mean he gives you a thought out answer yeah he's the type of guy that I, I just have a feeling that he wakes up in the middle of the night with 17 ideas and by the time it gets to the morning he's crossed off 15 of the 17 ideas and yeah. added 5 right. others yeah. he's just he, he's kind of always in that thinking creative mind sort of way about things yeah, two-sport athlete at Willamette. In fact, he um, one of the things we kind of connected on early was he uh, he was on the baseball team as a freshman, but my friend Nick Lubasich was a senior on that team. Nick's now a sports agent. Uh, had a really good minor league career and just got shoulder problems. Otherwise, he might have had a chance at going to the big leagues. But that'll be it for us. If you want to uh, send us an email, beardedcarcast at outlook.com. You can always... Follow along at Bearded Carcast on Twitter. Listen on Stitcher. Leave us a review. And, um, yeah. Talk to you next time. Yeah, we'll see you later.